Does your longing to be perfect keep you from living the life God is calling you to live? Shauna Nyquist is our guest this week discussing how we should seek to be present rather than to be perfect. It's all in episode 61 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 61 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week, our guest is Shauna Nyquist. Shauna is the popular author of several books, including Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet, Bread and Wine, and Savor. And her newest book, President of a Perfect, is a really powerful discussion of how we live this life before God. We wanted to talk to her about it, and you'll want to hear the important lesson Shauna learned from her famous father, Bill Hybels. And now, here's our conversation with Shauna Nyquist. Well, Shauna, it is such a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Shauna, you've enjoyed such great success with your books. Uh, I think of Bread and Wine, Savor, Cold Tangerines, and, and I love the titles, by the way. You always pick the greatest titles for your books. Oh, thank you. Tell us a little bit, how do you come up with some of the ideas that, that come out in some of your books? Well, I always um, choose a topic that's something I want to learn, so you know, with bittersweet, I was in a season of incredible loss and, and heartbreak and disillusionment. And I wanted to figure out a way to reconcile my faith and a sense of hope with, uh, the loss that I was experiencing. And so bittersweet was not me reporting on being an expert on heartbreak, but, but being someone who needed to learn it. And I would say the same thing about present over perfect and every book I've written, but this is a journey I needed to go on and I learn best through writing about it. And so, um, it, in that sense, it's very much a selfish process. This is the, the, the next growth edge for me, and writing is a great way for me to learn. Mm -hmm. And tell us a story of, of Present Over Perfect. I know it kind of grew out of something, an experience that you had. And so tell us the story behind that book. Well, I just had, you know, like anything, you have all these little more subtle markers along the way. And then you have these like kind of big moments where you realize, okay, I, I've I have been intentionally not paying attention to the science for a long time, and now you've got my attention. And so I had a moment. I had been, uh, you know, writing uh, a lot of deadlines, a lot of publishing, doing a lot of traveling and speaking, little kids, I had a baby at the time. And I had the sense that the life I had built for myself was too heavy for me to carry. I had crammed in so many things and good things, um, things I was passionate about, things I felt good about. But too many of them in order to continue being a person of great peace and connection and patience. Um, it required me to be a person I didn't want to be anymore. Wow. So how did you begin to kind of unpack that? When, when was the moment that you thought, wow, this, there's something here I need to, I need to continue to chew on? Well, you know, what's tricky for a lot of us um, is you can't make these changes overnight. I had made commitments to publishers and events and I had, you know, about two years of uh, sort of living through the count, living with the calendar I'd already created for myself. Um, and so I couldn't make, uh, as radical an overnight change as certainly kind of my, my heart wanted to. Um, but a lot of it came down to, um, starting to communicate with people about a shift in my desire for how I was going to live. So with people who were planning events, with my pub publishing team, with my agent, with my editor, with my community and my church saying, um, you know, I have been kind of your number one team player for a long time and I've contributed a lot and I have always tried hard to never miss a deadline, never say no, always show up early, always leave late. And I have to tell you that that's come at great personal cost to my insides to my marriage and to my family. And I, I, and so I had to tell them like, 
you're going to start experiencing a different Shauna and it might, it, she might not be your favorite one because she's not going to be as available to you, but she is going to be more alive and she's going to be more connected to God, to her own self, uh, and to her family and her marriage. Hmm. And when you started telling people that, how did they initially respond? Um, overwhelmingly people really cheered me on. Um, one of the great things about being in, in this kind of work is you're generally working with people who want the same things, who believe, even if we don't always practice it, we believe that your soul matters. We believe that your family matters. Um, uh, there were a couple people who had a really hard time. Um, and part of the process is me learning to withstand their disappointment and make the right choice for me anyway. Mm. That's really good. I think that, that even that title sets up a really fascinating dynamic because I think for a lot of people that struggle with kind of this drive to be perfect, that everything needs to be perfect in their lives, if you ask them what they would think the opposite would be, they would say, oh, just don't care so much or you know, stop, stop caring so much about the things that you care about. And, and you bring up this idea of being present. And so can you talk about how what part of the solution to perfection as you're using it is, is to be more fully present? Yeah, you know, one of the phrases that's really helpful for me right now is um, show up anyway. So my tendency is, sure, I will totally do that. I will um, I will speak at your event. I will uh, come to your party only if uh, things are where, I, if I feel good about myself, if I feel good about the job I've done, if I feel good about my home and my family. And, and then when all of those things feel taken care of, then I'll be able to come. So when, when things are perfect then I'll be able to show up and be my full self. And what I'm doing right now is saying, um, I'm, I'm giving up on the illusion that it was ever going to be perfect anyway, but what I can do is show up anyway, even in the mess, even in the uncertainty, even if I'm tired, even if I don't have a lot to offer, um, I'm not going to, uh, hide out until things are perfect. I'm going to show up anyway. Mm, it's really good. You know, I think when I think about the, the audience that we're speaking to, people that will listen to this, a lot of people probably would name busyness as one of their you know, top three or top five challenges that they have to overcome. They've got a lot on their plate. And you talk, you use the word frantic, um, where, where life can easily get frantic. Why do you think that, that that's become such a, a big problem uh, today, especially among those who are in ministry? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons, you know, and certainly I would say... Um, the internet is not necessarily helping us in that way, right? Um, there's a, the internet does a lot of great things, but it used to be, I mean, even when I first started working in a church, you know, 15 years ago, the only thing I was responsible for were the kids in our student ministry. I, there, we, there was no online presence. We weren't trying to communicate a larger message to like the broader culture. We weren't, we just had a certain amount of kids that we could get face to face with and that, and, and there's something that, uh, that doesn't exist very much anymore. For most people in ministry, they are both caring for a local human group of people and also a part of a larger national conversation about the church and about ministry. That's a lot. And I think the important thing to remember though is we are responsible for the size and the weight of the lives we create for ourselves. It's very easy to think like, this is just a cultural reality, or this is what my boss says I have to do, or um, this is just what all my neighbors are doing. If you decide, like I decided, to make a life that's too big and too heavy for you to carry, um, the bad news is you created that. The good news is you can uncreate that. And so for a lot of it, a lot of it for me was about taking responsibility. I made these choices. I signed on for too many things because I thought it would make people think more highly of me. And now 
the fact that people think highly of me is of very little value because I kind of don't like who I am, you know? And so it's been a lot for me about remaking my life from the inside out. Wow. I think, I mean, I'm sure that that just resonated with a lot of people. They're like, okay, now how do I do that? So are there a few practical steps for somebody that just completely resonated with what you just shared that they could start to do that and back off? Well, I think there are, there are, certainly there are practical steps, but I would say I, I thought at the, at the beginning of this journey that it was very much going to be like about time management. Like I thought like, is there an app that everyone has that I don't have? And that's why I feel so busy. Um, this was not about time management. This was about sort of going back to the very foundations of my faith. Essentially, I never would have said this, but essentially my functional theology was break your back all day long and God will let you stick around. Uh, if you extend yourself to the extent that it's painful, that means you're doing a good job and being a good Christian soldier. And um, again, I would never have told you that that's what I believe, but that's how I lived. Um, that that if it hurt and if it cost you a lot, you were doing it right. And And I believed on some deep level that I wasn't even aware of that my worth was up for grabs every day. Every day I had to hustle and prove and wring myself out. And if I did enough, uh, then maybe I'd be okay. And then I'd start again the next day. And what this process was about for me was so much more than time management. It was about creating the space and the silence to rebuild a faith that was centered on God's unconditional love that never fails, that never changes, and that is available to all people, regardless of how well we perform or don't perform. And so for me, um, centering prayer has been a major component of this. Um, and I, I'm like totally a hack. I don't do it well. I'm not like an example to anyone of it, but I, I start my day in silence, reminding myself what, uh, about the truth, uh, of what God says to us, which is his love started before we were born. We'll continue on past the end of our lives. And there's nothing we can do in this given day to get more love from him. And there's nothing we can do uh, throughout the course of this day that can ruin or squander that love. That idea is changing everything for me. So then when I start the day sitting in that place, letting myself be reminded of that truth, well, then I'm free to work or not work or contribute or not or rest or play or say yes to something or say no to something or work really hard or um, there's a freedom that comes when you know your worth is not on the line every day. And I think that's been the thing that's changed so much for me. Mm-hmm. And as you began to learn that, what were, like, how did you first notice that your, you were, your life was kind of changing as you were doing the centering prayer? I would say one of the things I noticed was that I, I didn't feel so much fear throughout the day. It didn't feel like uh, everything was pass or fail. I, I had sort of a sense, I felt, I felt a lot more grounded. I felt like, uh, I no longer felt like the smallest thing could throw me off center, which is how I spent a lot of time before that. Um, you know, I think a lot of it, and this is kind of a boring thing to talk about. I think a lot of it was lack of sleep. I think for years I didn't rest my body enough. And I don't know if you've read Arianna Huffington's book thrive, but she interviews all these different world leaders and every single one of them says that the worst decisions they made in their life, whether of like business decisions or personal decisions or moral decisions or political decisions um, they made when they were tired. And I think you set up a life where you're living tired for too long. You're just run by fear and adrenaline and exhaustion and all these other things. Then when you finally stop all that, you start being run by love and groundedness and peace and a sense of God's presence. Then a lot of the little things in life are not nearly so scary. Hmm. 
That's, that's so, I mean, just, yeah, I can just tell, I feel the peace um, just in your, in your voice. To the leader who feels like, you know, this is great, but I'm just the type of leader that thrives on being really, really busy and go, go, go. I mean, your dad is Bill Hybels, and I know that you've probably kind of seen, I know he probably has a ton on his plate all the time. Are there some leaders that just are always going to be the go, go, go type, or do you feel like every leader needs to, needs to do what you're describing? Well, yeah, you know, that's interesting. One of the biggest things, um, I had this moment, um, along this journey very early on where I kind of, I had just, I just had this, this moment where I was like, I'm out. I, I don't know. I have been trying and trying and trying and pushing and hustling for so many years. And I, I don't even like the person that I am anymore. And I'm willing to change everything. The pain level has gotten high enough where I'm going to change everything. And, um, my dad had stopped over after church, um, I had a baby, so he's coming to see the baby before bed. And the baby was, we, you know, I put the baby down. It was just he and I standing in the kitchen. I said, Dad, I have to tell you something. He said, yeah. And, and I said, I, I am not, I can't live like this anymore. I'm, I'm so tired. I'm almost afraid of, of what I'm doing to myself. And I have wanted so badly to work the way you work, to have the capacity that you have, to show myself as some, you know, like 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 I'm your kid and I want to be like you and I just can't. And he put his hands on my shoulders and his eyes filled with tears and he said, I am so relieved to hear you say this. I've been so worried about you. I've been watching you live a life that you were not made to live. And I'm going to help you get back to where you want to be. And, and that was just an amazing thing for me because, you know, like any of us, we want to please our parents or we want to live up to their expectations. And, but one of the fundamental things for me to realize is um, God made him different than he made me. God gave my dad a particular capacity and a set of skills and a set of limitations that are really different than my set of skills and limitations. And um, my husbands are really different and my friends are really different. My brothers are really different. And I think one fundamental part of this journey is never looking at someone else's capacity and limitations and assuming that you should be able to do what they're doing or that they should be able to do what you're doing in the same way that we all look different and love different things. We're all made to run at slightly different speeds and in different seasons. You know, one of the things my dad said to me, he was like, Shauna, like we're empty nesters. Like you have a baby and a toddler. Don't ever try to work the way an empty nester works. You know, and I'm like, oh, right, sure. But I think we set ourselves up um, that, that if someone else can do it, then we have to. If someone else has the capacity, then we must be failing if we don't have the capacity. One of the greatest freedoms for me in this journey has been saying, like, this is it. This is all I have. It's not that much. It's not as much as other people. There are some things that are easy for me, some things that are hard. But this is what I have to offer and no more. And that's been a really, yeah, really exciting, freeing way to live. Yeah, that's so powerful to to just even to understand because I think what you're pointing out is that we're so prone to compare ourselves to other people to look around and say, "Oh, I want to be able to do what they can do," or to compare our own journeys. How do you kind of dial into, "Okay, Lord, here's the giftings you've given me at this season in my life, and here's where the line is. Here's here's how much I can do, and then beyond that, I should say no to everything else." You know, the, the phrase we use in our house, what I talk about is um, love is the only fuel. So I used to do a lot of things uh, out of fear or out of desire to compete or compare or desire to be seen as responsible or, you know, all these different reasons. And I'm, I'm very intentionally laying down those types of fuel. 
Although you can get a lot done on those fuels. Um, fear and competitiveness can get you really, really far. But the new fuel is love. And what that means for me is if I can do, if you ask me to do something, uh, my question is, can I do that thing and maintain a deep sense of love for the work I'm doing, for my family, for the people who sit around my table, for, for my community? Then the answer is yes. But if saying yes to that thing would push me out of love and groundedness into proving and competing and fear, then the answer is no. And uh, I find that the more time I spend, the regular intervals of silence and prayer help me pay attention to that gauge uh, where I am uh, in using that fuel. So I make decisions a lot more slowly than I used to. The answer just used to be yes to everything. Like, of course, please. What am I, a baby? Yeah. And now the answer is like, I'm going to need a little time to gauge where I'm at and I'll get back to you. Wow. That's, that's such a freeing thing to, to do. And talk about, I know that, that some leaders really struggle with ever saying no. Like it, it, no, saying no to somebody is such a hard thing. We, we, sometimes we have that fear of disappointing somebody. What are some things that you've learned when, when it is right to say, you know, I just can't take this on? How do you say no in a winsome way? Well, and this is probably the place where I've, I've changed the most. I, I was like, when you say that leaders that have had a hard time saying no, like I was like, I feel like physiologically incapable of saying no until about three years ago. Um, like I just, the, the crazy stuff I did because I felt so responsible for everyone and everything. Um, but then I kind of had this realization and it was essentially this, you will disappoint someone. Whatever you say yes to and whatever you say no to, you will, like the, the actual way the world works is you will be disappointing someone. And for me, I picture a concentric circle and um, like my relationship with God and my husband and my kids are at the very center. And then my very immediate family and closest friends. And then my next closest friends and most important colleagues and out from there. And my goal now is to disappoint the people in the middle uh, as rarely as possible. And what that means is I have to disappoint people on the further edges of that circle a little bit more often. But I was doing that wrong for a long time. I was saying so many yeses to people really far at the edges of that circle that the inside of the circle suffered. And that's the switch I'm making. So if my kid needs me, if my marriage requires some focused attention or a getaway or a date night, if my own soul and spirit and connection with God feels like it needs a little reconnection, those are the, the, I'm not disappointing those people and those things anymore as much as in my power. But I'm getting more and more comfortable with the idea of disappointing people uh, further and further outside that circle. I think it's really important, and I, I love that. As you were learning this, what part did you ever feel like um, saying no, you were disappointing God somehow, and how did you work through that? I totally get what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think along the way, I think I realized that that was some of my own kind of incorrect leftover theology that said, um, essentially, your soul doesn't matter. Your feelings don't matter. Your needs don't matter. Just get out there and push. Um, I don't think that's what God's asking of us. And I think there is like a little bit of a kind of superhero complex when we start thinking every person with a need is that's my need to meet. Um, I feel very, like we use the term home team. There are a, a pretty small circle of people in the world who need my love and attention. And then like almost everyone else needs love and attention from their own home team. 
and I'm going to let their home teams take care of them and I'm going to take care of mine and I'm going to stop believing that I'm responsible for all things and all people. And the other thing is, I think my prayer life became much richer when my sense of having to be all things to all people started to fade. So I pray for people quite intensely on a regular basis, but I do not turn over heaven and earth to meet the needs of people for whom I'm not responsible. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that felt like a good switch to me. Essentially, I put people into the hands of God and I remind myself that it's not my job here on earth to meet every need that's presented to me. And that's not easy for me. I'm much better at just like, let's just handle it. I'll just do it. Let's just, I'll take that one. But it's good for me to realize that God didn't create me to be a soldier. He created me to be a daughter. Um, and daughters get to rest sometimes, uh, even if soldiers don't. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of pastors have to learn to surround themselves with people that they can lean on um, so that they're not the only one always getting called for certain things. But I think in pastoral ministry, I, I see that working out really well, where there's elders and other leaders who... Um, are pitching in and helping so that the pastor is not the only one responding all the time. Oh, of course. And I think one of the most important things for pastors is to have a small group of people for whom you are not responsible, where there's like a mutual relationship, right? Where, where they can sometimes be responsible for you. They can take care of you. They can um, pick you up when you're having a hard time. I think the tendency for pastors to be isolated is something that, uh, I think is a big red flag. And I love the idea of us increasingly be the, being the kind of leaders and church leaders that let people into all the different spaces in our lives and, and let people carry some of the weight of that. I think that's really important. That's really good. Shauna, if there was like one takeaway, like if, if people read through Present Over Perfect, what's the one thing that you hope that people take away from your book? I guess um, to this audience in particular, I would say um, along the way my faith had become one more way to try and fail. And then I found through this journey, I recovered the faith I experienced as a child and as a teenager and as a a young woman, uh, where my faith is actually, at this point in my life, my faith is the safest, softest part of my life. It is a refuge. It is something I'm incredibly thankful for, not one more weight under which I have to struggle. And I would say whatever you have to do, whether it's going to a counselor, which I did, or a spiritual director, which I did, or a silent retreat, which I did, whatever work you have to do, whatever time you have to carve out, whatever um, changes you have to make to reclaim faith as a healing, nourishing part of your life, as opposed to one more pressure, that journey is so worth it. It fuels and reorders everything. Mm. Well, Sean, it's been so great to have you on the, the podcast. Thanks so much for this book and for your ministry. And and I think, yeah, so many leaders are going to be blessed by just the freedom that you've just given them to to not have to solve all the world's problems. So thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Shauna Nyquist for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might benefit from listening to it. Also, you can download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we put resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com and from around the web. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve this podcast or guests you'd love to hear us talk to, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.
You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.